This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Buss, and I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll discuss fiber and probiotics with nutraceutical formulator Dr. Gordon Chang. We'll learn about the health benefits of yoga with local yogi Julie Watson. We'll discover the science behind microdosing with health researcher David Nelson. And lastly, we'll find out about alternative sources of protein with registered dietitian Shauna Lindzen. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot. One voice does not fit all when it comes to virtual assistants like Siri and Alexa, according to a team led by Penn State researchers that examined how customization and perceived similarity between user and voice assistant personalities affect user experience. They found a strong preference for extroverted voice assistants, those that speak louder, faster, and a lower pitch, not unlike me. They also find that increasing personality similarity by automatically matching user and voice assistant voice profiles encouraged users to resist persuasive information, such as misinformation about COVID-19 vaccines. In the study, 38% of unvaccinated individuals changed their minds about vaccination after listening to vaccine misinformation shared by a virtual assistant. I'll be joined by Dr. Gordon Chang in a moment, but first, a little bit of business. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings, and he's a regular on the show. Welcome back, Gordon. How are you doing, man? Very good, Jimmy. Thanks for having me back on again. Always a pleasure. So last month you were on the show, we talked, we started about digestion and we thought we'd get through the whole tract. But the truth is, I think we we got stuck in the intestines. We did the stomach and then we were in the intestines. We're going to carry on that discussion today, right? For sure. To recap on what we did, what we talked about last time is the basics of digestion, the misconception that people think that sometimes I eat this protein and this protein magically appears in, in my in my body. Right. And remember, one of the things I always said is that all of these things, proteins, carbohydrates, and fats are broken down to their basic building blocks, 
by the digestive process, and then it's reassembled according to the blueprint of your DNA in, into the different types of proteins that we need. One, of, one other thing I wanted to add, which I didn't really talk about, was the fact that when we do the digestive process, sometimes, you know, we, we get a whole bunch of different, let's take protein as an example. We have a whole bunch of different amino acids. Now, if we tend to eat, say, a lot more collagen, for example, what will happen is that we get a lot more amino acids from collagen. Now, remember, there's about 23 different amino acids <clears throat> that you normally find in, in, in nature, okay? The amino acids from collagen, however, is not 23. It's, it's going to be a lot less. So what, are, what happens is that you basically skew the amount of different amino acids in your system. Uh, but what, what, they, what the good thing about that is that because you skew it that way, the body says, oh, we have a lot more of these amino acids which we can use to make more collagen. So this is how it, it works. So you are basically what you eat. Right, but there's a process involved. There is a process involved. There's a lot of breakdown and rebuilding. And this is what I want to let people know about. Okay. One of the things that are going, that, that misconceptions, again, about the absorptive process is that, and I use the example of, of uh, minerals. One of the things that, that goes around and says, oh, inorganic minerals, not as absorbed as well as minerals, say, bound to, say, an amino acid. And that is basically not true. Uh, how, what happens is that in order for minerals to be absorbed, for example, magnesium, calcium, any of these minerals, they have to be soluble. And a lot of times the minerals that we get, the inorganic minerals, are soluble and sometimes they're insoluble. For example, let's use calcium as an example. Calcium carbonate is insoluble. It's basically marble. Uh, or chalk. But the problem with calcium carbonate is that because it's insoluble, if, if the body didn't do anything with calcium carbonate, you, it would come in as calcium carbonate and go back out as calcium carbonate. However, one of the things is that when calcium carbonate is, is ingested in your stomach, it meets the acids, right, hydrochloric acid. And hydrochloric acid then interacts with calcium carbonate to form calcium chloride. And calcium chloride is soluble, and that's how you absorb the calcium carbonate. Right. So, again, a lot of it depends on what the mineral is. Uh, the other thing is magnesium. I know a lot of people uh, take magnesium, and, and a, lot of it, this, a lot of people are told, oh, magnesium citrate is better than, say, magnesium chloride mm -hmm. and because it absorbs better. Technically, magnesium, um, magnesium citrate is not better absorbed. What happens is that when you take something like a magnesium chloride or magnesium sulfate, it's very irritating to the gastrointestinal tract. So even though it's absorbed well, right, it irritates the gastrointestinal tract to the point where you, you are shedding more of, more of the magnesium than you, than you have absorbed. So that's why people tend not to see as great benefits with magnesium chloride or magnesium sulfate. All right. Uh, so this is why the story goes that uh, magnesium citrate is better absorbed. Again, it boils down to how much you consume, because if you take magnesium sulfate in smaller quantities, you probably will retain more magnesium than for an equal amount of magnesium citrate. Okay. Right. At the levels that we need them, though, Gordon? Like so At the levels that we need them. Okay. Right. And another thing is, when we talk about at the levels that we need them, 
everybody level is different. Okay. Right? It's like vitamin C. If you have, if you've been a sailor back in the old days, right? Uh, you're in the ocean. There was no vitamin C, so you ended up with scurvy. And if I was to give you the RDA, which is the recommended daily allowance, which is, I believe is 60 milligrams of vitamin C, and you had scurvy, it's not going to make a dent in, into your scurvy. So you need higher doses. Right. If you are on land, you can probably get away with 60 milligrams of, of vitamin C if you are uh, eating a, a, a diet rich and also rich in vitamin C. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it just depends on where you are and how, how, how unbalanced your system is. What about fiber and how it's absorbed uh, by the body or, or not absorbed by the body? By definition, fiber is not absorbed by the body. Right. Fiber is usually defined as anything that's from a plant based. Right. So meaning it's a it's something made with a lot of glucose molecules. Fiber is a, a polymer of milk of a lot of different glucose molecules, but it's not digestible by by the body. So meaning the the the, the digestive enzymes that we have just don't break down those those um, types of polymers. So starches are polymers and so on. And what I'm trying to do here is basically break it down to the basic chemistry. Now, there's fiber, there's insoluble fiber, and then there's soluble fiber. Mm-hmm. So there's the, the soluble fiber are the ones that will make it into a gel. So if you things like you say apple fiber has, inso, has soluble and insoluble components, right? Psyllium has soluble and insoluble components. So usually when you take fiber, there's not purely insoluble or purely soluble. Mm-hmm. I mean, even oats, soluble fiber and insoluble fiber, yep. right? The, the basics of fiber is, is that, A, they do not get absorbed, that's one. Secondly, it tends to bind to a lot of, uh, for want of a better way, I call it toxins, right? Mm-hmm. And there's always a, a, a balance between absorption of the toxins and, and releasing of the toxins. So, but if you have a diet rich in fiber, one of the things that we do know is that it lessens the toxic, toxin load on your body. So it's usually a good thing to take fiber. And because it lessens the toxic, toxin load on your body, right, you, it, it's usually people use it as a way of doing a, an intestinal cleanse. Right. All right. Now, you have to remember, one of the other magics about the fiber is that it's bulking. So it, it provides bulk to, to your colon. And when it provides bulk to your colon, one of the things that that does is that it makes you have a ball movement. And one of the things about uh, the digestive process and absorption of things like toxins and so on, the longer your stool is in the body, the greater amount of toxins you will absorb, even with fiber. But because it has a bulking action, it makes you go. And when you go, you eliminate it, so it lessens the quantity of of toxins that you you absorb. So that's another benefit of fiber. Right. Mm-hmm. A third benefit of fiber, usually fiber is, comes from plant material. When you ingest plant material, it's not only fiber you're ingesting. You're, you're ingesting vitamins, right? You're inject, ingesting um, bioflavonoids, antioxidants, and a whole bunch of 
um, what I call minor nutrients that is that you find very effective. I mean, th- even things like alpha lipoic acid, all those type of things are uh, absorb uh, comes from from um, from plant material, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because of that, right? You, uh, this is why when people have a diet higher in plant material, they, they seem the, the, the current study says that they seem they live longer and they seem to be in better health. Vegetarians seem to be in better health and, and live longer. I would love to say it was just basically based on fiber, but the answer is no. It's, it's a, based on a whole bunch of other things, too, happening at the same time. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, people might ask, okay, are all the fibers the same? Uh, apple fiber, flaxseed, uh, fiber from flaxseed, from psyllium, are they all the same? Technically, fiber is fiber is fiber, right? However, right, um, different types of fiber tends to bind to different types of toxins with different efficiencies. So again, one of the things I, I, I would uh, tell people, if you're going to have fiber, have a, lot, a, a wide variety of fiber. So get some flaxseed into you, get some um, oats into you, get some psyllium into you, get apple fiber into you, eat more fruits and vegetables, a wide range. That, that's the best type of advice I would give you. Mm-hmm. So how can, how can fiber help us support management for weight loss and cholesterol? Because, because, you know, like for me, for example, I have oatmeal for breakfast every morning and it helps me feel full, which means I don't eat as much, but there's more to it, right? Yes, there is more to it. I mean, everything interacts because this will lead me down the road towards probiotics, the microbiome, etc. Because one of the things that fiber does even though we can't break it down, we have a nice colony of, of bacteria in our gut that thrives on the fiber, mm-hmm. right? So that's good and it's also bad. One of the things that, that we know bacteria do, does is when they, when they chew up on fiber, they produce gas. Yep. So some of us are more gassy than the others depending on the type of fiber and how much of fiber we consume. Right. right? But the plus side on some of these probiotics and, and, and using fiber is that uh, the, the, the probiotics, or what we call the good bacteria, produce compounds which can kill off some of the so-called bad bacteria, right? Okay. Now, what, we might have to continue this one in our next session, but I'll just, the gist of it, one of the things I've always said about probiotics is that there is no such thing as a good bacteria, Good, and the joke I always say is that bacteria don't go to church on Sunday. Yeah. They don't. They don't give extra money to the poor. They right. don't do good deeds. Right. The only reason we call them good bacteria is because the body tolerates the waste products that they produce a lot better than the waste products that the so-called bad bacteria produce. Now, there's a whole bunch of different so-called probiotics. I, I, I wish the. I know we, we think of a, a handful of, of bacteria and we call those probiotics, but if you think about how many bacteria there is in the body, how many different strains, different species of bacteria there is in, in the world, right? It, it's, it's ludicrous to think that, you know, the 15 or 20 bacteria that we have identified so far as probiotics are the only ones that are available. Right. Right. Um, the, the thing about probiotics, again, is that I, I know a lot of people go around saying, oh, all our probiotics should be from human source, right? Well, 
the downside to that argument is that when you're born, you're born sterile, meaning that there's no, no bacteria in your gut at all whatsoever. The first bit of bacteria that you even get exposed to is the ones that you encounter in your mother's um, vaginal tract, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, birth canal. That, that's where you get your first dose of bacteria, right? And, and once, you, once, those, once you have those, over time, your bacterial flora is a function of where you live, as an example. If I was born in, say, India, and I grew up in India, the bacteria that I have in my gut is vastly different from the type of bacteria that you would find in somebody born in Canada, raised in Canada, and never stepped out of Canada, right? So what that, the reason that I mentioned that, too, is because the different bacteria from different places gives you immunity to different diseases and so on, depending on what the area. For example, foodborne illnesses in, say, if you were born in India, for example, you can probably eat street food without a problem. Right. If you come from Canada and you go there, you, I am sure you'd get something called deli, uh, deli belly, which is you sitting on the porcelain throne. In the interest of time, yeah. I think we can pick this up in our next session. For sure. Interesting food for thought. Thanks, Gordon. We'll, we'll speak about this in the new year. Definitely. That was Dr. Gordon Chang. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the health benefits of yoga on The Tonic. OMTO is back, brought to you by Cold FX, Canprev, and AOR. It's a yogic celebration of the winter solstice, a full day of specially curated and themed yoga classes led by the most dynamic and popular instructors from the top studios in Toronto, nourishing your body and mind at a time of year when we need it most. There'll be music, contests, free giveaways, and special offers. To reserve your class, go to www.omto.ca. OMTO, December 17th. Tired of lineups at your pharmacist? Why not try PharmaZ at the Zoomer store? Powered by the Health Depot, an Ontario-accredited pharmacy, PharmaZ offers a concierge approach to filling, refilling, and managing your prescriptions with free delivery anywhere in Ontario. To get started, visit zoomerstore.com and click on PharmaZ. And then click on the Circle of Care Pharmacy program for your free initial consultation with a clinical pharmacist. Don't wait. Go today. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Julie Watson is the owner of Afterglow Studio in the Beaches in Toronto, where she also teaches and facilitates their top teacher training program. At the age of 50, she's currently completing her master's in psychology and hopes to pursue a counseling career. Uh, She's been part of the Tonic family since 2009, and I respect the fact that she continues to support all of my, as she puts it, amazing ideas. Welcome to the show, Julie. How are you? (laughs) I'm still here with you, Jamie. I love it. Every time you come calling, I'm like so thrilled and honored. So thank you so much for doing this again. You you are, and you're part of the A-team, I got to tell you. And, oh, that's awesome. And that's why, you know, that's why we put you on the cover of the latest issue of the magazine. Uh, what a cover. I right? feel like a celebrity. There you go. So 
you're going to be teaching at OMTO. And, you know, I've, I've been trying to explain to people why we're putting on the event. And, you know, mm-hmm. you know, for, for many reasons, one being supporting the yoga community. Another, I just think there's just so much going on in the world right now. We could all use a little time to decompress and, and sort of do well by ourselves, especially in the hustle and bustle of this time of year. So I thought I'd bring you on the show today and you can explain, you know, even beyond that, you know, why is it a great idea to do yoga? Sound like a plan? That's a great idea. Love it. So what brought you to your yoga practice? I started yoga like way back, as you mentioned, I'm 50 years old. So when I was in theater school and it was kind of like a means to ground myself. So when I went out to the world and I started auditioning, you know, I could really feel like I was still in touch with who I was. And I remember walking into a yoga studio here in Toronto after an audition one day and the yoga teacher noticed my distress and they placed their hands like on my shoulders. Like I didn't even really know the teacher and I just completely melted. And I knew from that moment that I was in the right place and this is sort of where I belonged and what was going to help guide me and get me through these times. And so since then, I mean, it's been over 30 years, my practice has evolved uh, depending on my life's needs, my physical state. It has, it, yoga has really gotten me through a lot. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of people feel that way about it. Mm-hmm. So, so for those who don't know, let, let's sort of break it down. What can yoga do for you physically? So many things. I mean, yoga is a healer, right? So whether you're, you're coming to your practice for that purpose or not, I know in our Western world, we're like power yogis and we, and we want to do it for exercise and stuff. But even if you're practicing a power yoga to get and feel stronger, the combined breath, right, and movement as you're, you know, moving through the poses, you're deepening your breath, you're also regulating your nervous system, right? You're releasing toxins, you're potentially regulating hormones, or you might even be going in for the, you know, deeper stretch yoga, the more calm yoga, um, just to kind of like find flexibility. You're also expanding with the breath, you're improving your circulation, uh, your digestion, right? You're even balancing your metabolism. So yoga helps you with you know, your balance when you're standing, your strength, your stamina increases your flexibility, agility. I mean, this is just the list that if you Google it, you can find. Um, it increases your energy, right? And a big one, I think, too, as we age, is protecting you from injury. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that is a big one. You know, people don't, appre- I, I think we're starting to, to learn more about it, but having some muscles around your joints and, and having that flexibility and that balance all together just kind of helps with your overall health physically. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned sort of your personal journey, um, mm-hmm. and, and that sort of edifies my next question, but what can yoga do for you mentally? Okay, so yoga is actually scientifically, scientifically backed. So it's a scientifically backed alternative treatment for stress, which I love learning about uh, research, right? And yeah. now that I'm, you know, studying and I'm doing my master's, I'm always like, okay, well, what's the research behind this? It can reduce anxiety, help with depression, right? Increase focus. Um, and my favorite to draw attention to in my classes is by breathing deeper, you're tuning back into your body, right? You're giving yourself space. And so we're in this world that constantly pulls us away from ourselves. And so tuning back into you uh, just gets you reconnected to what you're really feeling, what's really going on. And then more than just the asanas are going to class, emotionally, mentally, having a community, 
right, can help improve all of these things and anxiety, depression, um, isolation. So there's so many things that it can do for you mentally. Okay. So hearkening back to your personal journey, can yoga help you emotionally? Yeah, I mean, I think they're all intertwined, right? Yeah. Like the physical, the mental, the emotional. I don't think you can really escape one with having the other one kind of follow behind you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, emotionally, like I said, you know, it's gotten me through a lot. There'd be some days that I'd be in a class and I'd be lying on my mat just crying and releasing and letting go. And then other days it would, you know, give me that boost that I needed to get through. Um, but I would say like in some practices or classes like mine, you know, we'll focus on a theme or a mantra. So even just for the hour that you're with me, you know, we might practice gratitude or joy or letting go, or I'm going to bring some lightness because the world is so heavy or forgiveness. And I know it, it might sound spiritually bypassing, but just for that one hour, right? We're not forgetting about our problems. We're not, you know, you know, just like thinking, oh, we're all Zen and we're going to be fine. But if we can just give ourselves that small amount of time to experience these emotions and find some freedom and space within ourselves and some balance, right? Maybe we take that out into our day and our interactions, we feel better, right? So it's not a cure-all, but it is an incredible tool. Yeah. So I, you know, I work out like a bit of a maniac still through, mm-hmm. through, through everything. Always. Yeah. So I've been incorporating uh, you know, a very brief sort of adjunct yoga stretch to the end of my workouts. Nice. Um, and what I find is, you know, I, the, the workouts, I clear my mind, right? Like I, I like I just I have to focus on what I'm doing because if I, if I let the world creep in, you know, my reps aren't good or I'll make a mistake and I'll hurt myself. So I have to really mm-hmm. focus, which is great. I tune everything mm-hmm. out. And then I'm kind of ready for the emotional release that is me on the mat after all of it. And, mm-hmm. and for me personally, that's where I find the peace in, mm-hmm. in, in, in the movement and the stretching. And, and so that's, you know, I'm just going to attest to that. Um, yeah, it's interesting that you do that connection of, you know, your yoga practice being that emotional release. Yeah, 100%. Let's talk about other sort of aspects of health and wellness that yoga might impact. So I, for a time... Uh, when you and I were both sort of frequenting Spinga, which no longer exists, mm-hmm. they had sort of evening uh, yin yoga and restorative yoga classes. And I have to tell you, there were a couple of times where, where I kind of, you know, I'm telling tales, but I, I, uh, I fell asleep. So, <laughs> yeah. so um, you know, my experience with yoga, is sometimes it can help you sleep. Do you find that? Oh, it's, again, like scientifically backed, right? Yeah. I mean, there's no question that... Uh, it improves the quality of sleep. It's not necessarily going to improve the quantity of sleep. That's yeah. depending on what your schedule is like and that sort of thing. But, you know, your quality of sleep, lack, there's less sleep disturbances. And then you, um, the studies show that you will wake up feeling more energized. So the reasons behind this are mindfulness. I mean, mindfulness increases your melatonin levels, right? And we know that that um, reduces sleep disturbances in the night. It helps you sleep better. People take melatonin, so we can do this naturally, right? And then we have the breathing awareness and the regulation, which our breathing, focus on breathing, it's a relaxation technique, right? And so exactly. it can induce sleep, which is probably why you're falling asleep on the mat, yep. right? And then we know that also frequent movement is important and helps us have better sleep, right? So, I mean, these are scientifically backed and then all you really have to do is go to a class and do it and you'll see <laughs> that it, it feels better and you will sleep better okay so now we've set the table let's talk about the class that you're going to be leading at omtl can you tell us a little bit about it 
Ooh, I'm so excited about this one. Um, so first of all, the playlist itself will be awesome enough for you to just like lie on your mat, even if you don't want to do the practice, because we're going to do like female heavy hitters of our time and of the past. So like obviously Taylor Swift, Beyonce, Miley Cyrus. And then we're going to go to like Shania Twain, Stevie Nicks, Tina Turner, Whitney and Madonna, you know, more. So the music is just going to be there. And then the actual practice is going to be a dynamic flow. So, it, you know, you can consider it like a nice dynamic sannyasa flow, a little bit of power in there, but there'll be a lot of movement and it's going to be super fun. Really good time. So I can't wait for that. Yeah. No, you always put on a good class. So what type of yoga is, is your class? Is this one of your power yoga classes or what, do, what are we doing? So it'll be like a, a vinyasa power, right? So, you know, in vinyasa, we move through the flow uh, to get to the different movements. And then we're also going to add in the power element. Sounds like a plan. These classes will fill up. So anybody who's interested in coming to the event, they should go to omtio.ca because the name of the event is omtio. And that is literally omtio.ca. Easiest link in the world. Pick the class that you want to go to. If you're if you're not able to come to Julie's class in the afternoon, there are others, and you know they'll get increasingly less energetic as the day goes on, and it's mm-hmm. going to be it's going to be a celebration of the winter solstice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Jamie, for always celebrating what yoga offers and for including me in it. Fantastic. That was Julie Watson. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss psychedelics for treatment on the tonic. Attention men over 50. Do you search for restrooms everywhere you go? Wake up several times at night just to go pee again? Are symptoms of a benign and large prostate taking over? Prostate Perform helps reduce the urgency and frequency of pesky pit stops in as little as 7 to 10 days. Available exclusively through natural health food stores. To ensure these products are right for you, always follow label directions. OMTO is back, brought to you by Cold FX, Canprev, and AOR. It's a yogic celebration of the winter solstice, a full day of specially curated and themed yoga classes led by the most dynamic and popular instructors from the top studios in Toronto, nourishing your body and mind at a time of year when we need it most. There'll be music, contests, free giveaways, and special offers. To reserve your class, go to www.omto.ca. OMTO, December 17th. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. David Nelson is invited faculty at the Nova Institute for Health of People, Places, and Planet, located in Baltimore, Maryland. He attended the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, is a health food retail and wellness business owner, and he's written numerous academic articles. Uh, One of his latest establishes the importance of the acid-alkaline balance of the foods we eat, and he lives in Woodstock with his family. Welcome back to the show, David. How are you? Not too bad, Jamie. Not too bad. Thanks for having me back on the show. So I recently had a guest on who was all about microdosing psilocybin. And, you know, she's an advocate and we were sort of talking about that. And I'm actually considering doing a little experiment with that myself. But before venturing into doing something like that, I thought it might be interesting to bring you on the show to discuss the ins and outs and perhaps some of the drawbacks, because we really didn't get to that in our discussion. You up for that? Yeah, I I think that that's actually wise. I mean, um, psychedelic have a lot of positives and they have some negatives that need to be openly discussed, I think, in society as we, you know, 
find that they're going to be exceptionally helpful for us in certain conditions. So yeah, definitely. I think it's a good topic. Okay. So for those who don't know, what are psychedelics and why is there a renewed interest in them? Yeah, so psychedelics, they're, they're a class of substances that may come from natural sources and sometimes they're manufactured sources uh, that um, alter things like perception, mood, and certain ways that we sense the world around us. So colors could be potentially more vibrant, um, or you could perceive the world with a more empathetic lens, So, or your mood might be a little bit more buoyant. Um, there tends to be a lot of positive characteristics about psychedelics, but there can be negative ones, too. It can create negative mood, negative perception, too. Um, that's why you need to be cautious. Uh, they're known for their ability to also induce altered states of consciousness. So why we're talking about that is because we need to know is it the psychedelic that's doing some of the heavy lifting here is there something else going on in brain chemistry and stuff which we'll talk about a little bit later in terms of mental health but um is it that that altered state of consciousness is profound and transformative for some people is that is that what it is and that's why there's a renewed interest because in the science community um there are it looks like there's a lot of potential therapeutic benefits in terms of mental health specifically and psychedelics, in terms of research, has been on the fringe for a lot for a long time. Um, effectively shut down after you know Timothy Leary and in the late 1950s, early 1960s. Right. And there was a lot of legislation around you know putting it as a, as a Schedule One or a Class One, which means there's no therapeutic benefit whatsoever. However, it's emerging now that these things need to be seriously studied for things like PTSD, depression, anxiety, at the very least. Right. So that, that that's why there's renewed interest. There's the, the signal in the in the data is, is compelling. Right. Okay. So and, and so you know we were dealing with the six, '60s stigma, and it was used you know recreationally. People were tuning in and, and dropping out. Right. That's that's that's, mm-hmm. that's different. That's different when people than how people are touting it now. But I think we still kind of need to look at it. And obviously, there's a distinction between going on an acid trip and microdosing. Right. There is a distinction yeah. between that. Right. But also, yeah. you know, some of the therapeutics we're talking about guided journeys that aren't microdosing. Mm-hmm. Like, like we've had people on the show that run clinics for people with PTSD and anxiety issues, which are doing sort of guided journeys, we'll call them, in 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 the hopes of helping people through their 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 traumas. And that's different than microdosing, right? Well it it is different than microdosing. And I think that I mean there's been some lack of research on this. Uh, however, that research is beginning to grow substantially as licenses are handed out to certain academic institutions in North America, specifically in parts of Europe, Israel, who are now able to do this research above board, which means they can publish about it, they can have the substances. And what they're doing, this is where it gets really interesting, actually, I'm glad you brought that up. It's these guided psychedelic experiences that are facilitated by trained therapists. So I just want to point out that there is a distinction here when it comes to psychedelic. There is recreational use of psychedelics, which are more for the experience of the change in perception, perceptual things, and not necessarily, shall I say, a spiritual shift inside, an inner shift. And then there's the medical uh, or personal side of psychedelic exposure, where you're like, I want to get something out of this by gaining perspective. So, and that's where um, it's important to have trained therapists. Um, and those therapists are being trained right now to use some of these psychedelics in ways that are really important, but they need to, you know, follow a really simple um, 
formula, I mean, it's more complex than this, but this is a simple way to look at it. It's dose set setting. Right. So you have to have the right dose with the right mindset in the right setting for this to happen. And so, and this is where you get a blending of a bunch of different things. It's not just one thing. Remember, this is pharmacology. Yes, there are things that are doing things to your brain, but there's also a psychotherapy component here. There's also an immersion in nature component. A lot of times these guided things, especially down in South America, are done in nature right. or done in huts. So there's all of these interconnections that are starting to emerge. And psychedelics, frankly, were part of indigenous practices um, around the world uh, for a very long time that we can find out. So we're kind of rediscovering something that could have the potential to really help us here. Yeah, I, I guess one concern I have is like in, in dealing with people in the cannabis industry, when they were talking about research, there was there was a dearth of research for so long because it was taboo and illegal. And then, mm. you know, the first research that came out was empirical as opposed to clinical. And mm. and so there's only so much you can really take from that unless you're you're trying to be very sort of sympathetic or optimistic about the results like there is mm -hmm. a distinction between clinical and, and empirical studies and i wonder and i and i don't know the answer to this and you may or you may not the studies that are being done with psychedelics are they more empirical or are they more clinical right yeah. now yeah. yeah that's a great question because you're you're really asking a very key question about the linearity of outcomes right and so i think that your request by the top therapists in the world would be echoed here by saying this is a multi-intersectional issue of which just a linear input of a psychedelic mushroom is not going to shift the needle necessarily in exactly how we, so it has to be an intersectional way that we look at therapy. And I think you're really onto something when you, when you talk about that. It's a lot of things all at the same time. One of the important things, if I can just like, just jump back really quickly yeah. about safety. MDMA is emerging as something that looks like it, it uh, is very, very safe, and there is no psychedelic experience associated with it. However, people get the ability to place certain really difficult points in their life in perspective without an overwhelming amount of emotional baggage or anchoring. Hmm. And it allows people to deal with that. So this is very interesting on where it's going. I think these things will be part of treatment in a decade or more. Um, Okay. Uh, let, let's talk about, for a moment, the science behind the use of psychedelics for such things as PTSD or anxiety. How is it supposed to be working? Like, what's happening? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. So we know that PTSD and anxiety are over-arousal in certain brain centers, the amygdala, the limbic system. Um, and it looks like you actually also have a microbiome uh, that reflects that. So this is another finding that's coming out. Your gut um, microbiome biodiversity and certain taxon there reflected in, in your brain's ability to process, um, uh, you know, information that you could consider threatening. Uh, PTSD and anxiety, you know, it's an over, it's an overtone in the brain. So what happens, interestingly, when you take mushrooms, for example, so psilocybin, is that you get global, a global decrease in brain activity, but a global increase in brain connection. And it's a very interesting process. So it's almost like you can take a step back and with more capacity, look at your life and look at how things are in the world around you. And you seem to develop some emotional and spiritual shift as a result of doing that. And, and that would be, that's something we have to get comfortable talking about in science, is that there could be an emotional and a spiritual shift inside of someone when we confront things like psychedelics, because it's about how we're living. Okay. 
now let's shift gears a bit, not to alarm people, but what are some of, what are some of the risks or hazards of of taking psychedelics for clinical well, I purposes? Think it's, it's you know we're not alarming anyone. It's like we want people to engage in this in a in a responsible manner, right? And so what that means is that people who this this you know doing psychedelics in non controlled city leads to emotional and challenging and intense emotional experiences. Uh, people with certain types of pre-existing conditions, which may, you know, float towards psychosis or something, like shouldn't be doing mushrooms, like at all, and not even under supervision. At least that's where the science is going on that. So we need to take these things seriously. I think that you need to have mentorship uh, for most people if you want to get something out of this, if it's outside of a recreational experience, or if you want to micro and you want to feel a little bit better each day, just make sure that you're um, rotating uh, and, and doing periodization properly with that. But there's, there's something here. I think what we need to explore now is sort of how the government is dealing with it, regulation. What's, what's happening? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Governance is, is definitely going to be something that um, we're going to hear a lot about over the next five years uh, when it comes to this. So at first, they're going to open up access to academic institutions, I think, to get these substances, which are still currently considered Schedule One substances, and get more access into clinical trials so that we can have outcome data on things like, as you mentioned, PTSD, depression, anxiety. Those things are going to come. Then, you know, we may, if there's not a safety issue, like what happened with cannabis, we may get legislation for public consumption. So I don't know when that will take place. That's a possibility. But the government is looking right now to legislate this in very positive ways, I think, which will help with mental health. And I don't know what will happen in the public forum, though. But I, I see it going definitely towards mental health. Makes sense. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely, Jamie. Thanks for having me. That was uh, David Nelson. We have to take a short break. But when we return, we'll discuss sourcing protein on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Shauna Lindzen is a dietitian and nutritionist. She's a program developer and nutrition leader at Wellspring Cancer Support Network and enjoys seeing clients virtually and doing corporate wellness lectures. She runs practical cooking demonstrations that combine scientific knowledge with culinary education. Her demonstrations are unique, informative, delicious, and lots of fun. You can find a list of her nutrition classes and recipes 
at shaunalinson.com. And of course, she's a regular contributor to The Tonic Magazine and a guest on the show. Welcome back, Shauna. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. How are you? I'm doing very well. So you you did a protein-packed pasta recipe for the winter issue of the magazine. I thought it would be interesting to bring you on the show to discuss sources of protein because some people, like my wife, have made a decision that they're going to try and eat way less meat. Sound like a plan? Sounds like a plan. Lots of people are, are going in that direction. Yep. Why do we need protein, though? Even if we're making a decision to go vegetarian, why do yes. we need protein? So we still need protein because protein's an essential nutrient. And it's made up of amino acids. And the amino acids build and repair our muscles and our bones and our tissues. And they also make hormones and enzymes. So it's really important for us to eat quality protein. Okay, so over the course of my life, so now I'm in my 50s, I would say I eat maybe 30 to 40% of red meat that I used to eat. So I used to eat a ton of it, now not so much. If I'm not eating red meat, what are are other sources of protein that, that are out there to help me? Yeah, so lots of people decide to eat less meat, and other sources of protein are fish, poultry, like chicken or turkey, those are the main ones we first think about. Yep. And then when um, these these contribute a lot of protein to our diet because we eat a big piece of it, let's say 3 to 12 ounces at once. Mm-hmm. So they contribute a lot of protein. But there are also foods that have protein in them, and those include things like eggs, nuts, seeds, legumes like soy, lentils, pasta, whole grains. And I did highlight a recipe in the Tonic magazine this um, this winter season to show off how pasta does have protein within itself. Like we think it's just carb, but it also does have protein in it. Does it have to be an egg pasta to have protein or is it just, are you talking about specific pastas that are made with certain grains such that they have Great question. So pasta, normally the pasta we think about, the Italian type of pasta, like spaghetti, linguine, that type of thing, Mm -hmm. it's made from durum wheat semolina, which is a, it's kind of a, a heavier wheat, which is higher in protein. So if you're eating pasta that is made from germ semolina, you're getting a, a large amount of protein in, in a serving. Are all proteins created equal? Because, you know, there are proteins from meat sources, and whether you're talking about red meat or you're talking about turkey or poultry or, or fish, and then there's protein that we get from, from vegetables and grains. Are, are yeah. those proteins the same? No. So most proteins are different. They're made up of different amino acids. So a few sources of protein don't have, we call them limiting amino acids. So you have to have a combination of foods to get all of those amino acids. Now, people think that they have to have these foods at the same meal. I'm going to give you an example, like rice and beans, for instance. But that's not necessarily true. If you eat, let's say, rice with lunch and beans with dinner, because those both have limiting amino acids, your body 
will make up for it and make the complete protein throughout the day. So you don't necessarily have to eat, combine the foods together. You just have to make sure you're getting a variety of different um, protein-based foods. I mean, but the happy ending to that is that rice and beans go pretty well together, right? Delicious. Yeah. (laughs) Throw in a little thyme and yummy, right? Right. So how much protein do we actually need per day? So it depends actually on your body weight. So um, typically it's around one gram per kilogram per day. But let's say you just had surgery or you're lifting heavy weights. It goes up a little, not a crazy amount, but let's say 1.2 to 1.5 grams per kilogram per day. Now that doesn't sound very practical for us to all get our calculators out. So what I normally say is if you're reading labels Aim for around 20 to 30 grams of protein, like a good quality protein at each meal. So do you want some good examples with that? Sure. I, I thought it was like, if you're going to have meat, it's like the palm of your hand. It should be the, that's sort of the, pro, the, yeah. the portion size. So the palm of your hand or the size of a computer mouse um, is about three to four ounces of protein. That's giving us at least... 30 grams of protein. So if you are a meat, fish, or chicken, or turkey eater, all you need is the size of the palm of your hand. But if you're going the non-traditional roots of protein, like let's say you're doing Greek yogurt. So I'm going to give you an example. A bowl of Greek yogurt, about three quarters of a cup of it, with some hemp seeds on top, a tablespoon of nut butter, that's going to give you the same amount of protein as a large steak. Right. And because you're getting it from a, a milk source, it's not the same as plant protein. It's, it's more akin to a meat-based protein, yeah, correct? Yeah, it's complete. It's got all the amino acids. So if you do decide to go vegan, let's say you're not eating any meat, any fish, any poultry, any eggs, any milk products, you have to learn the to get your protein through different foods, for instance, through nuts and seeds and legumes and lentils and whole grains and mix them up a lot. And you can achieve um, a really moderate to high protein diet. You just have to make sure that you're not focusing on only one food group. I think what people don't realize when they when they make the decision to go vegetarian or vegan is how much more labor they are introducing into the process of it's eating. It's hard, Jamie. It it's is difficult. It, it is. It's it's a bit of a balancing act, right? If you look at if you don't care about balancing your nutrition and you just have decided for ethical reasons you don't want to eat anything with a face, God bless you. And and <laughs> and, and you know that's actually what's driving Naomi's decision to to, to eat less meat, but. If you're not balancing, if you're not putting in the effort to make sure you're getting all all your nutrients, I mean, there's all kinds of problems that can come about if you're not doing it intelligently. Like you can go anemic. Absolutely. You can have a lack of iron in your diet. These are typical things that happen when people go vegan and they're not realizing how they have to supplement or realizing how they they have to balance, right? As a dietitian, that gives me, um, it concerns me if people aren't doing it properly. So they really have to research it. They can get the help from um, a dietitian or a nutritionist and learn the different types of protein, the amount of protein in foods and 
and it's a good thing though. Like they can eat more plant-based proteins, which also gives them a lot of nutrients. So you can do it in a healthy fashion. You just have to be diligent. Right. Okay. So now we know where to get the protein sources from and how much we should have. Does it matter when we eat the protein? Like, do we have to have it at every meal? Do we have to have it at certain times? To be honest, I would say yes. It is important to try to get at least one protein source per meal and per snack. And the reason why I'm saying this is for the satiety. Protein helps keep you full and it helps satisfy you until the next meal or snack. So I would say that it is important to try to get protein at all of your meals and snacks. It doesn't have to be a crazy amount of protein, like a big piece of chicken, but it could be, let's say, a hard-boiled egg and an apple. Something like that will will give you at least a boost of protein. Okay. Factor myth. It's important to eat protein after exercising, particularly doing like any resistance or weight training. It's a little bit of a myth because magically, if you eat protein half an hour after you exercise, it doesn't mean it's going to convert into muscle, like as I said, magically. So the timing, when people say that you should eat half an hour after a meal, a snack, I just want to say stay hydrated, have um, a really good quality meal or snack so you're not starving and overeat things like, um, you know, candy or whatever. Like you want to reduce your cravings because when you exercise, you expend a lot of energy and you're going to be really hungry afterwards. Okay. One last question. Proteins tend to be expensive, like meat and dairy have skyrocketed. Which is the best bang for your buck protein? A hundred percent beans and legumes, super duper healthy. You can buy them dry, canned, frozen, very healthy for you and cost effective. Fantastic. So we're out of time today. What do you want to talk about next time you're on the show in the new year? Let's talk about if you do decide to go vegetarian or vegan, what nutrients that you should look out for. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Julie Watson, David Nelson, and Shauna Lindzen. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The winter issue is now available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.